Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And uh, as Tom alluded to earlier, we've kind of mentioned this um, previous weeks. We're starting a series here in, in the book of Acts, and uh, we'll get, get the graphic and thing here taken care of eventually. It looks a, little, looks a little boring in here today, doesn't it, with all the Christmas stuff down. I walked in this morning, I'm like, ah. Um, but um, anyways, book of Acts. Let me read here, chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first five verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. God, we just grateful this morning for the church. These last couple songs that we've sung, God, that rich theology in the church's one foundation about uh, what the church is. And how we stand in unity with brothers and sisters over the years. We've been called to be part of this movement that you started so many years ago. The day of Pentecost. Thanks for what we're a part of, God. Thanks for allowing us to be part of the church of the living God. And I pray that as we study Acts, God, that we'd be excited again about what it means to be part of Christ's church. We'd be excited about the mission that we've been called to that's so clearly laid out in the book of Acts. We're thankful this morning for the gift of your spirit that Jesus promised that you wouldn't leave us alone, that the church would be gifted the spirit. We're going to study that here over the next few weeks. We're thankful for that. As we just sung, the spirit lit the flame and, and that the gospel that we proclaim, God, it will never bow, it will never fade fade away. It will always be authoritative. It will always be true. So God, encourage us with these thoughts as we study the book of Acts. And I pray this morning, as we open your word for a few minutes, that you would um, just give us what we stand in need of, that your spirit would teach us and instruct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the goal today is just to give a little bit of an overview of the book of Acts. And it's hard to do this part of a, a sermon uh, series without, you know, you don't want to make it like a, a seminary class. And yet, uh, our role, our, our, our task isn't just to exhort, right, and, and, but to teach as well. And so we want to do take just a few minutes and give an overview and, and some of the, the background information to the book of Acts because it's, it matters, it's important. It informs everything that we're going to read uh, from here on out, okay? So we're going to do a little bit of that. Um, and then we're going to jump in just to the first uh, four or five verses here today and, uh, and then go on from there in the, in the weeks to follow. But um, do you ever wonder if, if, if this is worth it? Right? This is frustrating sometimes, right? Being part of this. Um, sometimes it's boring. Right? You're like, yeah, especially the guy standing up, right? Uh, sometimes, and... 
you know, to be honest, like last week I shared how I, I struggled with my view of the church because of a, a conversation I had overheard. If I'm honest, part of the reason why, too, um, that I was just like, I don't want anything to do with church is, is because I, I developed this view that I just thought it, was, it wasn't cool. It wasn't exciting. Um, camp ministry, that was exciting, right? I'm going to go do that to play games all the time and have these great uh, services with drums and, and all, you know. <laughs> Jim looked at me. Uh, um, right, but the church was kind of boring. And I'm so thankful that through the course of years and growth and understanding and doing life together and maturity that. I began to see otherwise. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's challenging. Sometimes it's boring. Right? But the book of Acts, if we really take it and look at it and examine it and understand our story and our past, we come to understand that there's nothing like this in the world. This is the church. This is God's design. This is God's plan. In the book of Acts tells our story. This is our story. Acts is our heritage. Acts is our history. And when we see the church birthed and unfold in the book of Acts, we see that it's anything but boring. Uh, we see that it's, it's the edge of the spear <laughs> representing the kingdom of God uh, in the world. That's an incredible thing. But yeah, sometimes it's, we need to be reminded of that. I was reflecting downstairs Wednesday night uh, after youth group was talking to uh, uh, Kelsey and Riley, and we are talking about some different songs, and we were laughing about a song. There's a song by Brandon Lake about uh, prayer, and he, and he talks about uh, when he was a teenager, his mama dragging him to church Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, making him wear collared shirts and khaki pants. And he says, man, I put up a fight. And we're laughing about that because we're like, it's true, right? My parents drag me to church, and, and I'm like, I don't want to dress up. I don't want to go. I don't want to, you know, Wednesday night, like it's summertime. And uh, I got this perspective, right? Uh, there's an old um, Larnell Harris. And, um, some of you, I, no one sings like Larnell Harris uh, to this day. So if you don't know your church, go listen to some of his songs. My, my man can sing. And... Um, he has this great song called I Want to Be, I think it's called I Want to Be Where Your People Are, something like that. And he talks about uh, growing up in the church, making trouble for the Sunday school teacher, running through the halls. He talks about uh, being in youth group, riding with the youth on, all the, on, on the bus, and more concerned with dating than with truth. And the scripture was just more rules. And I and, uh, thought, yeah, that was, that was me, and that was me. Church is, it's not that. And I hope as we look at Acts that you will catch a vision for what this is, what God intended it to be. And every church has its deficiencies. And so the thing is to not give up on it because it's the, the church in Acts. Don't look at it as some idealistic perfect time either. They had their problems. But we look at it as this is what we are supposed to be. So what can I do to help with those deficiencies? To help us become what we're intended to be. What we see the church being in the book of Acts. So if you're sitting out here today wondering, is this worth it? Is it worth investing in? Is it worth becoming a member? Is it worth serving? 
Is it worth giving my life to this gospel movement uh, called the church? Uh, yeah, it is. And I hope that our time in Acts helps you as, as you weigh uh, through that. It is worth it. I think one of the greatest movies, I know I'm partial, I think one of the greatest movies ever made was, uh, was Hoosiers. No, really? Oh my word, thank you. Uh, and if you haven't seen Hoosiers, you're, uh, I, don't even, I don't even know what to say. I, you know, no. But at the beginning of Hoosiers, there's uh, Jimmy Chitwood, the best basketball player in Hickory, Indiana. And uh, Jimmy Chitwood, he won't play basketball. He refused. He doesn't want to play for uh, this team and the, the, the former coach, and he was disillusioned by it all, and he didn't want to play. But then Coach Dale comes, and as the, the movie starts, you see Jimmy Chitwood just kind of in the background, and he's watching practice, and he's watching uh, these interactions that the coach is having, and, and, and the tension there at the beginning of the movie is like, maybe, maybe Jimmy is going to plan or change his plans. Maybe Jimmy's going to decide that this is worth it. And, and I, the movie's like 50 years old, so I, I, if I'm spoiling this for you, that's your fault, all right? Uh, he decides to play. He weighs it all. He weighs the evidence. He, he weighs what he's seeing Coach Dale doing, and he, all of a sudden he's like, I want to be a part of that. I can sign up with that coach. I can be a part of what he's a part of. I can believe in what he's, he's teaching here. And, and as we look at Acts we understand that this thing is, is, belongs to Jesus Christ. This is his church. He is our leader. And, and we need to look at him and go, ah, <laughs> I can get on board. That is the leader. It's not Craig. It's not deacons and elders. This is about Jesus Christ. And so, again, if you're sitting here today going, is this worth it? Should I give my life to this? Should I jump in and serve here? Look at Jesus. It's his church. Yes. Right? Daryl Bach, in his commentary, writes this, Luke hoped that others would come to appreciate what God had done and was doing through what became the church. In this way, those in the community could be encouraged and come to a deeper appreciation of their heritage, while others could be exhorted to be a part of the church, to be part of what God was doing. So here's some of your background information on the book of Acts the author was Luke, the gospel writer, Luke. Um, Luke, we know, was a physician. And so we know at some level Luke was probably a pretty smart guy. Um, he was orderly. Uh, he was a researcher. Um, and so there's a lot of thoughts put in to his gospel and put into the book of Acts. He was very loyal Luke is a very loyal portion. You see in 2 Timothy 4 where Paul's talking about his co-workers. And he's talking about this one left me and, and Demas left me because he loved this present world more than Christ and, and all these things. But he says, only Luke is with me. Luke was with him in Rome, serving him and ministering to him. Luke was incredibly committed to the call. Luke was committed to, uh, to Paul. He was a loyal co-worker. Uh, you see all over uh, the book of Acts, the, 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 the pronoun we, 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 it's, it's Luke writing. He was, he was there with Paul experiencing this. And he was a great historian. Even people from a secular perspective, whatever, they look at the book of Acts and they'll tell you that uh, according to the standards of the time that this is excellent history. 
It follows the, the high writings of, of historical writers of the time. Luke knew what he was doing. It's a dependable and trustworthy uh, writing and account of the birth of the church. Uh, Acts is uh, intended to be read as the continuation of Luke's gospel. And that's why you have right here at the beginning, in the first book, O Theophilus. Right? Uh, this is part two. This is a two-volume set. Luke Acts. And you see there's a link, and this was common in historical writings at the time too, there's a, there's a link between the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. They, they, they kind of overlap, and it's almost like, you know, when you binge watch your TV shows, like, you know, the Mandalorian, is like previously on the Mandalorian, you know, and it, and it kind of highlights all of the things you need to know to kind of link this episode with the next episode. Um, that's, that's what Luke is doing here. He's linking the second volume with the first volume by giving the account of, of the Great Commission and the Ascension. Um, they're meant to overlap and be uh, linked together. And then here's just the last thing I'll give you by way of background today. Luke Acts were both written to Theophilus. Um, and if you want to see the purpose in such of the book of Acts, it's, it's, it's found in the beginning of the book of Luke. And, uh, and he writes there, Theophilus, I'm writing to you so that you be convinced of the things that you have been taught. We don't know much about Theophilus. Some think Theophilus is just a, a stand-in name for that, that means the whole church. I, I tend to think, no, he was, a, he was an individual. Uh, the address of most excellent Theophilus seems to say this was a person. It seems to be probably a person of fairly high standing, given that terminology that was used to, to address him. Um, but be that as it may, you, you see the purpose that you be convinced, Theophilus, of the things that, that you've been taught. And it, it's easy to understand at this time, and much like today, while someone w- would be questioning, should I give myself to Jesus? So the book of Luke is, is putting forward, this is who Jesus is, Theophilus. You need to be convinced of who he is. And it talks about his life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection. And, and Theophilus, he is worth following, and in the book of Acts, the unfolding mission, Theophilus, it's worth being part of this. And again, you can understand why someone in his day, like in our day, would be questioning this. Because it's hard. It's not popular. Rome was the power. There was persecution. Christianity was being marginalized. Sounds like our day. And so, like Theophilus, there's somebody sitting out here today, is this worth it? And, and Luke would say to you the same thing. He's saying in writing to Theophilus, I'm writing so you'd be convinced of what you've been taught. That this is the real deal. This is worth giving your life to. This is worth surrendering everything for. So if you're sitting here doubting and questioning today, the book of Acts is for you. This box quote we already stated. So some of the purpose and themes, again, I want to try to unpack this as best I can uh, in a survey type of format um, and, and just help you understand why this is such a significant book. First of all, Acts is the bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles. Our knowledge of, of the early church would be vastly reduced if it wasn't for the book of Acts. We get some information about the early church from the Epistles, um, some, but it, without Acts, it would be lacking. And so we have Acts, and what's cool is then as you read the epistles, a lot of what you're reading in the epistles, you can reference back to Acts. Oh, when he wrote Philippians, this, this is what happened in Philippians, and this is what had happened in Ephesus. So Acts is a crucial book in the New Testament as it serves as this bridge. Here's the thing about Acts too. Acts is not a comprehensive history of the church. 
It's not a comprehensive history, but it's a focused history. It's a selective history, okay? And that's significant. The, the, the writers of the, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, they weren't concerned as much about all the historical details and chronolo- chronology and things like that that we are today in our, in our Western mindset. They put the things forth accurately, but they were more concerned with purpose. And they're going to they're gonna give us the information for theological purposes. And, and Luke's doing this too. And Because you, you, you think about it, and we'll get there next week. I mean, there was a selection of the 12, and there had to be 12 leaders in the church. And, and, and that was ordained by God. And they all went and had different minutes. Church history tells us that people like Thomas probably went east to, to, to the Orient. And, but that's not recorded in Acts, and that's okay. Um, it's a selective history. And, um, and that's important because that tells us that there's purpose behind every single, single detail that, that Luke included in this book. All right? uh, Acts reveals the roots of this new community to demonstrate the legitimacy of the church and the inclusion of the Gentiles. It's a big moment in redemptive history. In this founding of the church and the bringing in of the Gentiles is all part of Christ's un- unfolding plan. We, we see in Acts the, the glorious nature of the church. So if you read Acts and come away from it thinking the church is irrelevant, the church doesn't have any purpose or meaning, you completely miss the point of the book of Acts. You can't read it without going, wow, what a glorious thing. Uh, in, in, in college football recruiting, High-level Division One recruiting. One of the things these universities, like like a Michigan or an Alabama or Ohio State, they spend millions of dollars on like these trophies, trophy rooms, and and they have these rooms and they're crazy, and they'll they'll have their their national championship trophies and they'll have their uh, uh, their Heisman winning you know Heisman trophies and their you know Sugar Bowl whatever they have it all displayed and then around that they'll generally have some kind of a heritage area. Too, where they'll show you the, you know, the pictures. I'm sure the University of Michigan probably has Tom Brady on the wall somewhere. Um, you know, how's they are Archie Griffin on the wall somewhere, right? Because uh, what what they want, they want to bring these recruits in, and they want to say, look at this, look at this. I mean, they spend millions of dollars. They want these recruits to come in and be like, whoa. And that's their mind. Like you could be part of this. You could be part of this history, this heritage. Look at the trophies. Look at the Heismans. Look at the national championships. And, and they want recruits to be like, yeah, yeah, sign me up for that. Like, wow, I want to be part of this. That's what Axe is doing. Like, look, look around. Look at the trophies. Look at the heritage. Look at the past. This is what you are offered. You can be part of this. I love this. Acts roots this movement, the church. And by the way, we will use a lot of terminology that's just synonymous. The movement, the way, um, um, the, the new covenant, it, it all referring to the, this birth of the church, right? Acts roots this, this movement in ancient promises. And we don't have time to look all up, but throughout Acts, the presence of Old Testament prophets, uh, statements of Old Testament and Old Testament prophets is, is astounding. And statements about it. Acts chapter 1, verses 15. I gave you some of these references. It says the scripture had to be fulfilled. Acts 3, 22 through 25. And again, anytime the New Testament refers to scripture, it's referring to the Old Testament. Okay, that's what they had. That was the written record they had. So it's referring to the written 
law and prophets and, and poetry, okay? So when it says the scripture had to be fulfilled, it's, it's, it's referring back to what they had at that time as far as the written word of God. Acts uh, 3, 22 through 25, and verse 24, it says, all the prophets declared these days. So when, when you're hearing these sermons and Peter and Paul, guys talking, and they say, all of the prophets declared these days. What they're doing is they're rooting everything that's happening in the book of Acts back, in, back into Old Testament uh, prophecy. It's authoritative. Um, uh, Acts 10, 43 says, all the prophets bore witness to Jesus. Okay? This was important as the church was birthed and as the Gentile inclusion came in. Because especially in that mindset, in that time of day, that uh, it had to legitimize this because new was not always better. This movement... The church, the inclusion of the Gentiles, uh, the, the apostles here in, in, in Acts, and, and people like Stephen. What they were doing is they were saying that this is not some new idea. It's deeply rooted in God's plan and is pointed to throughout the Old Testament. What we take from this is that the unfolding plan is becoming a reality. What has been prophesied for hundreds of years is coming to pass. I love this. This is Ephesians Wow, I continue to be amazed at how bad my eyes are getting or how small. Um, this is Paul in Ephesians 3. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery Hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now catch this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Do you catch that? That this plan of the church is ancient. This is part of God's plan from the beginning. And do you see the high purpose in that? To, to confound and embarrass and defeat the forces of darkness. Like, that's not boring. <laughs> like, we're a weapon. And we see that, right? In Revelation 12, the dragon, we've talked about this, the dragon is defeated by the testimony of the church. Those who did not love their own lives too much but gave themselves to the cause and to the gospel. And this is the downfall of Satan. This is what the gates of hell cannot stand against. So we can take a lot from this. This is the pattern. The unfolding plan of God will continue to unfold as it always has. The church cannot be stopped. What God has promised will accomplish through the church is true. Acts reminds us that God is active in the world and that heaven is the primary mover in all of this. Acts demonstrates the direct involvement of Christ with his church. 
the direct involvement of Christ with his church. He guides and he instructs. So again, all of this is kind of overview stuff. We'll come back in more detail as we unpack these passages in the weeks to come. But just look at some of these passages I gave you. It says the spirit, uh, Paul is talking about where they're going to go on a journey. He says the spirit of Jesus didn't allow us to go there. This is direct involvement of Jesus in the church. Acts 18, the Lord said to Paul one night, the Lord, this is referring to Jesus. Jesus is guiding and directing as the church is born. Christ is the agent for miracles. So many miracles done throughout Acts are done in his name. You have the big one, right? The road to Damascus when Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, is converted. This is Jesus. You talk about direct intervention. He was going to kill Christians in Damascus, and Jesus steps in, blinds them, and says, you're done doing that. You're persecuting me. I got a new mission for you. And history was changed. Jesus is directly involved. This is his mission. This is his church. You look at other passages, again, to see the plan and work of God in this. We won't take time to unpack these today, but in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4, you have words like predestined and what had been promised and what had been foretold. This is God's. This is God's design. This is God's plan for the spread of the gospel. Another great thing, it, it, it's, at first it's like, ah, kind of seems boring, but actually this is, this is fascinating. Acts is very dependent on geography. It uses geography to demonstrate the gospel's power. Places and regions are a major feature in the book of Acts. Um, And we see that right away in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Right? You'll be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Right away, it's setting this geographical orientation as a major theme throughout the book. And then the book of Acts, it literally, it follows this flow. And even as you go through it, there's, these, there's summary markers in the book that brings us back to Acts 1.8. So at the beginning, we know that the church started in Jerusalem, right? The day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, that, that sermon by Peter, that started in Jerusalem. Uh, there's another sermon by Peter there at the beginning of Acts on si- uh, Solomon's portico. It was there in Jerusalem, and in 6-7, after you have all these events, you have this summary statement that the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And then you, you go on past chapter 6, verse 7, and then you see Judea and Galilee and Samaria coming into the picture. After the persecution of Stephen, it says that the people of God were, were scattered in chapter 8, verse 1. And it says those who were scattered through Judea and Galilee and Samaria went about preaching the gospel. See? See what Luke is doing? Philip is in Samaria preaching in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Again in verse 25. And then after all of this, you have another summary statement. In Acts 9, 31, that says the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria grew. Acts 1, 8. These geographical markers throughout the book of Acts. And then we know that Acts ends with the ends of the earth. Uh, You have Philip. You start to see, uh, get a sense of this. Um... In chapter 8, verse 27, where Philip goes and he preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. So now the gospel is going to go to North Africa. There's special interest there, right? But the gospel is going to go to North Africa. And then we see Paul, all of a sudden now, the ministry to the Gentiles in, in, in Caesarea Philippi, and then in, in, in Antioch, and then the missionary journeys of, of Paul in Asia Minor. And ultimately he ends up in Rome. 
the capital city of the world at the time. And now the gospel has root. Even at the end of Acts, you have Paul speaking of a desire to go to Spain. The gospel has entered Europe. Acts does this. The geographical markers are, are significant. And here, here's why that, that matters. Places like Isaiah 2-3. For out of Zion, out of Jerusalem, this is the prophetic word, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah 4-2 has the exact same quotes, right? This is rooted in ancient purpose. And Acts is showing us that God keeps his word. That's the big deal about all of this. It communicates intentionality. That the church and the spread of the gospel in Acts is a perfectly devised and executed plan. This just didn't happen by the creation of some man. Uh, The birth of the church and spread of the gospel didn't happen by accident or by chance. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus left his disciples and said, you'll be my witness, you will be my witnesses. This will be accomplished. The gospel will go forth. I love that Jesus called his shot on the way out. He called his shot. (laughs) This is what's going to happen, right? This is Babe Ruth standing there in the World Series. Remember that? He points to center field. (laughs) Next pitch hits a home run. This is Jesus. Jesus called his shot. The spread of the gospel was according to plan, and it was executed to perfection because what was undergirding it was the plan of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. God used people as the agents, not just the great apostles, Paul and Peter, Stephen, the deacon, preached one of the most powerful sermons in the history of sermons. He was killed for it. The people in Acts 8 who were spread, they weren't church leaders. They were people fleeing persecution, but they preached the gospel as they went. This is on you, this mission. This is us. This is what we are called to do. We're just soldiers under command, right? That's, the, that's, that's, that's what we are. That's what we're doing. Following what God has laid out for us. To faithfully bear witness. Acts proclaims the supremacy and power of the word of God. All throughout Acts, you see that the church grows and the gospel goes forth by the word of the Lord. Acts 6-7, the word of God spread. 12-24, the word of God flourished and multiplied. 19-20, the the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. The word of God or word of the Lord, those specific statements, words, occur over 20 times in Acts And that doesn't include all the times that that these ancient prophecies were referenced by the sermons in the book of Acts. Peter, using Joel 2 in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Stephen's sermon is laced with Old Testament scripture and and narratives. In Acts 28-23, it says, Paul tried to convince the people about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Why does that matter? Because it reminds us that in this mission and what we're doing, it is the word of God. That's where the power is. It's in the gospel. We must start with Jesus. Our effectiveness is not rooted in programs or in buildings. We must always unashamedly, unapologetically proclaim the word of God. Our mission must be rooted in the word of God, not our opinions, not our desires, not our agendas. Always, only the word of God. 
And that's where Acts tells us the power lies. That's why lives were changed. That's why the church exploded, because they used this. Acts is laced with that. Acts records the fruitfulness and increase and growth of the gospel message. There's 8,000 references for you to see that um, right there. Both the message and the people throughout the book of Acts, you see all the time, increased greatly in number. A large group came, increased in numbers. They flourished, they multiplied, grew daily in numbers. They flourished and prevailed. 3,000 were added in chapter 2, verse 41. In chapter 2, 47, every day the Lord added to their number. Many who believed, 5,000 were added in 4, 4. Believers were added, on and on and on. All those passages refer, refer to this. Fruitfulness and multiplying. By the way, does that sound familiar? Fruitful and multiply? It's Genesis. The intent of God is that Adam and Eve be a people, and the people of God come, not just to be fruitful and multiply as far as the physical aspect of the earth, but as image bearers of God to, to represent and foster fear of God. They failed in that. The book of Acts, I believe Luke is intentionally using Genesis language to show that the purpose of the church has helped to fulfill God's initial creation purposes. That there would be a people for his name, fulfilling his desire. Right? The point of all of this, these references, church growing, is that this, under the power of the Holy Spirit, declaring the word of God is an unstoppable force. We are an unstoppable force, not because of ourselves, but because we're part of the church of the living God, right? For me, this is an example before, I think as a kid, you know, I grew up on the beach there in New England, and, and one of the most frustrating things, especially in some of the backwater type of areas, so you're not there where the waves are crashing in like in Newport or other places on the east coast of like Cape Cod, but you're in some of these other places, these little bays and everything like that, and you, as a kid, you'd build your sandcastle. And, uh, and the worst is when you kind of timed it wrong and forgot about when the tide was coming in. So you built it too close, and then that, that, that water just starts rising. And you're like, oh, no, they just took away my, my, south, my south tower is gone. And, and so then, well, then what you do is you, you try to build a wall. You know, you, you start getting sand. You're trying to build a wall to, to keep your sandcastle. You know, that is a losing battle. Because that tide isn't coming in with the big waves, but it's just rising. And encroaching, rising, rising. And you can try to build, you can try to bail it and bail it, you're going to lose. Because it's subtle, but it's powerful and it's strong and unstoppable. And I think something that, that the church, the kingdom of God, is kind of like that in the world. You'll see these big, dynamic crashes. It's just a slow, steady rise. The church rising, the kingdom of God working. And it can't be stopped. The gospel can't be stopped. And it continues to encroach on Satan's territory this is the message to Theophilus the gates of hell will not prevail Theophilus no one is able to hinder the victorious progression of the gospel in the kingdom the mission is alive and well there's a tone of victory throughout the book of Acts and even opposition and persecution, even that leads to gospel spread. Right? We see that after Stephen. People were emboldened to go and preach the gospel. 
one of the last themes of the book of Acts. That Acts communicates the role and necessity of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in this new movement. Acts communicates the role and necessity of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in this new movement. I know you got more blanks on your sheet. I'm going to stop here today, actually. This will be really easy. This one a lot shorter when I preached it in my office, but that's okay. I think we need to stop here and focus on these things. It'll be easy to add this to next week's. The Holy Spirit. You can't read the book of Acts without understanding that we are desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. Controlling us. Characterizing us. This is why Jesus in Acts 1 says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Go wait. Because you can't go out and do anything I've commanded you without this. Go to Jerusalem and wait. There's multiple references throughout the book of Acts about being filled, about the empowering presence of the Spirit. Places where these men are preaching, you would say things like, Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, in such powerful ways even where the, the guys who are listening to Peter, people like Peter talk, they're going, these guys are unlearned fishermen. What in the world? They turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because of the Spirit of God and His power working in them and through them. The Holy Spirit is a guiding presence throughout Acts. Spirit plays a significant and important role. We did communion this week back here in the back of this room with Rick Cleaver. Can't be here with us because of his compromised immune system and his sickness. And uh, so a couple of us uh, elders and some deacons gathered back here. We did communion with Rick. Rick's dying, right? <laughs> and Rick just says, I don't know, Jake, something, I remind me if I get this wrong, something in the, uh, along the lines of, of I'm still alive, I still, I still want to be faithful, proclaiming what God has, has done. I, I, I want to find ways to communicate. Why does someone who's dying have that perspective? Because they understand the things that Luke was trying to communicate in the book of Acts. That he's part of something big and significant. His life, his purpose, he was called for a purpose. He's part of this mission. And I'm listening here going, here is a warrior who's saying, until the day I die, I'm going to live my life committed to this mission. He gets it. He gets it. Why in a time like World War II were the kamikaze pilots of Japan such a problem for the U.S. Navy in the Pacific? They said it was one of the worst weapons that the Japanese had because it, it, it was like physically guided missiles. That these guys could adjust and everything before they crashed into these ships. And I, I was reading about that going, what would possess someone to do that? I'm going to get in a plane and, and sacrifice myself, crashing in it. It's because they bought in to something bigger than themselves. Acts calls us to do the same. 
Is this worth committing to? Yeah. Is it hard? Mm-hmm. Are we going to get frustrated with each other? Mm-hmm. Is it going to seem sometimes like we're spinning our wheels in the mission? Mm-hmm. By the way, that's nothing new. Everyone in Acts experienced all those exact same things. So don't look at it as some like ideal time, like, well, if we... No, they just let the mission be the bigger thing. They let the Holy Spirit be the bigger thing. That's why they were powerful. Not because they didn't have problems. Because they yielded the Spirit.